Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, um, if I can have your attention, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I, I'm asking uh, that you would uh, help me now, that you would anoint my words, that you would open our hearts, that we would hear your voice and we would do all we can to respond to it. I pray you would guide me in this talk in Jesus' name. Amen. I was looking this week and I turned up um, some notes I'd made back in 2008. Um, What was my habit for a number of years was on the first of the year, the first day of the new year, I used to get up early. I mean, I'd get up early every day, but I'd do that on the 1st of January. It wouldn't matter what time I went to bed. I'd get up early, and in my prayer time that morning, I would, I would write down some thoughts, and I would write down some goals for the year. And I did that for a number of years, and I, I happened to look up this week, well, I looked for and found... Uh, what I had written at the beginning of 2008. So this is seven years ago. I wrote these words at the top of my goals for 2008. I wrote this. My sense this coming year is to shed some load and weight. (laughs) I've not achieved that one. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't mean physically. And in fact, I doubt whether physically I even thought about it. I was too busy eating Christmas cake and the like. To make myself and my family more flexible and mobile to whatever God has for us in the future. I do not want us to miss God's plan for our lives because we have become so caught up in material things. So I wrote that uh, 2008 on the 1st of January, uh, I, I saw it on my laptop, and out of that I would have written some, some, some goals, and those goals at that point were things like, okay, God, we're just growing Alpha course, uh, there's the new people, I need to do something about that. These were all the kinds of things I was involved in in the church, and, and I think Pauline was taking her, uh, I think it might have been her level two uh, in, uh, in BSL, and, and she was taking the exams, but I was involved uh, in, in all of that, sort of uh, with her. And um, I remember writing various goals, yeah? By the end of 2008, I, I had left the church I was in to lead Beacon, and I'd written a book, neither of which were in my goals, uh, and neither of which did I, had I even really thought about. I mean, I think I, the idea of the book was there, Maybe the idea of leading church was was there, but there was no plans for those things whatsoever. And I remember I then read what I wrote at the beginning of 2009. So a year later, I'd gone through those 12 months. Um, uh, During those 12 months, I'd left the church. I'd picked up a new church and I'd written a book. And I, I wrote this. 
how things have changed. <laughs> At the beginning of 2008, I would not have dreamed of being where I am at the beginning of 2009. The key for me as I reflect on this last year is this. Am I open to God's change in my plans? And am I ready when he does? Am I open to God changing my plans? And am I ready when he does? Because I realised it would have been very possible for me to be open to God and desiring certain things. I, I think, you know, when I talk about when Pauline, I don't remember it, all these things exactly, but when I talked to Pauline, she said, oh, you always wanted to go and lead a church or do something. I said, oh, did I? I don't, I don't remember the specific thoughts, but, but, but you can have that kind of thought and not be ready when God says go. And something quite significant happened in 2008 that didn't, just prepare me for going, it actually prepared Pauline for going. Pauline had no plans to go and lead a church, to go and plant a church. She was very happy at King's, very happy with, with the size of it, with what it meant for her, really, really quite content. And, and we were living in a house, and I was thinking, will we be here forever? And Pauline was thinking, I hope so. Yeah. So that was how we were for that year. And then God did things in the year that changed us. And it, and it moved us. Uh, but we could have easily not listened. We had a choice. We always had a choice. It wasn't like God forced me, uh, God opened a way for me, and, and in a sense we walked through it. And so I say that right up front because I want to, I, I want to get us today just to be a little bit more expectant of God a little bit more faith-filled in God and not to be thinking about 2015 and simply thinking about job, money, house, potential relationship, nice place to live. I don't want us to think like that. I want us to be a little bit more mobile in our spirits, a little bit more open to God, a little bit more willing to, to act when he acts and to follow him. In the last year of being at Beacon, it's been, uh, you, you, whether you realise this or not, for me personally, because most leadership is internal, for me personally, it's probably been the most challenging year internally for me as a leader and for me before God and for me sort of seeking him and all those kinds of things. But I've come to the end of 2014 and the beginning of 2015 thinking this. I have this growing acceptance that God has called us to Brixton. And you might think, oh, come on, surely you've got there. No, it's a growing, it's a growing thing in me, a growing acceptance that God has called us here and a growing desire to see him move. I've got a growing acceptance that God's called me here, that God's called us here, and a growing desire to see him move because we do lots of really great things I popped out yesterday I popped down to uh, to food bank yesterday I had some very important things to talk about with Pete and Lucy in fact there was a teddy bear that they were giving me for my daughter and so I popped to get it um, and but it was great it was going into the food bank and seeing the place there wasn't a seat available 
and but there was general sense of just peace and calm and people were chatting and 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 I could see that people were being helped and and it reminded me of when we began food bank three years ago and and myself and 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 the girls used to be part of the food bank team regularly going down there and serving and realizing how far we've come and how many thousands of people that we've fed and how many people have been touched by the Holy Spirit and people that have been saved and I was like oh God You've done some amazing things in this place and we have reasons to be thankful. And so I was, uh, I was just thinking about that as I sort of just sort of went down there yesterday thinking about uh, these reasons. What have we got to be thankful about? And I think about 2004. And I'll just bring out a couple of things. It's, it's a bit bitty today. I hope you can follow me and I hope you can also gain faith from some of the things that I say. The first thing to be thankful about is, is Beacon in March this year, it'll be eight years old. And, and before it launched in 2007, um, where's Garth, is he here? Oh, Garth, how long before you launched were you meeting to pray? Okay, so for years, for years... A few people were meeting to pray about the potential of planting a church. Uh, it wasn't in Brixton, it was in south central London. And it's still here. It's still here. And last week, Simon and Kim came back, uh, and, and they, there's always the, they're all, you always know when they're around, Simon and Kim. Um, need I say more? But that you always know when they're around. And uh, they came back last week, and they, along with Garth and Gibbs, were, were part of that very first group. And this is what um, they, they emailed me in the week. And they said, um, uh, I think it's Kim who sends the email, but you know, it's from Simon and Kim. They said, they felt that the church had changed since we last worshipped a year ago. The church felt a lot calmer and less fluid and fragmented. And they noticed practical changes um, with screens and chairs. Um, but they said it enabled the church to be more together than it was. The church felt more contained and all eager to move together towards God's heart for the church. Is that true? That we, are they right? That we're more eager to move towards God's heart? Uh, whilst there have always been Beaconites, as she calls them, who have pursued this, it had seemed to be in varying degrees, with some right on the edge. There also seemed a sense of contentment in being in Beacon and being part of it. Simon was reminded of words that were spoken over the church in the early days about Beacon being an oasis for people to come. And the reality is that an oasis has to be a place where there is containment and contentment in order to find rest for those seeking. Simon also commented in the car uh, that it seemed to make the church stronger. So they're praying and they're encouraging us in what God is doing. We were praying on Friday together as a, just, just the guys in the office and John came up with this scripture. He didn't make it up, it's in the Bible, but um, that'd be amazing if John made up this scripture. Uh, John's a theologian, of course. Um, he brought this scripture to us as we were praying in Acts 9 after the Apostle Paul, Saul at that time, was converted. He says this, Then the church throughout Judea Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear 
of the Lord. When there is peace, when there is the Holy Spirit being allowed to encourage and strengthen, things grow and you know, and you know what it is to fear God. And it's not enough just to have peace and niceness. You need to know what it is to fear God if you're really going to see God move in your midst. So things to be thankful. One, we're we're still here. Secondly, it was was such an encouraging year last year in terms of we had, I don't know how many marriages we had and how many babies that were born into our church and people settling in to the area and I was we were praying this week on Wednesday morning with other people that I pray with I pray lots through the week Um, I was praying with another group of people and I was just saying oh in the last year it's been really great we've had a number of marriages in the church we've had a number of babies born to to couples that almost that got married in the church and one of the other pastors said to me what you're doing there is countercultural it's countercultural what you're doing there he said 50% of all babies born in the UK are born outside of marriage. And he was just encouraging us. And I don't know whether you read, I read quite recently that, that, that the UK has the highest percentage of single parents in Europe. So the little that we do here is counterculture, encouraging people in marriage, encouraging children to be born in that way, because that's, that's what the Bible says. It's not because we're particularly um, fundamentalists in, our, in and of ourselves. It's what the Bible says. We're seeking to follow it. Thirdly, we've just seen God's blessing on us as a church and as individuals. And if you had been at Jamie and Janine's wedding, you'd have just felt this, this wasn't just a wedding, a coming together of two people. This was a testimony of life. <laughs> This was a testimony of God's grace and God's, and God's blessing on, uh, on a couple. And Jamie's, uh, Jamie's um, speech was challenging and, and humbling at the same time as he went round. And I can't remember whether I used this quote last week, but I'm going to use it again this week, even if I did. Um, Jamie had two best men. One was John Taylor and the other was a guy called Nick, I think it was. And Nick said, and I loved it, Jamie's spiritual journey was such that had you asked him who wrote Genesis he would have answered Phil Collins. Yeah? That's where Jamie came from. Yeah? And now he was, he was getting married in a church and totally, he was totally giving himself to this woman and totally thankful for what God was doing in his life. It was wonderful to see. It was great. Fourthly, just the unity, love and heart of the church. We cannot underestimate that. And here I just have to comment on the elders. There is such a unity of heart in our eldership. I think we almost take it for granted. We just realise it's there. And it's only when I sometimes talk to other pastors I realise, oh my goodness, I don't have all of that stuff. Yeah? I remember talking to one guy who pastored in a big successful church and he he was saying to me, I'm trying to get the finance man to have faith. And I thought, oh, I don't have that problem. So there's the unity that there is among us as leaders, it just can't be underestimated. It can't be taken for granted. God blesses unity. He really does. And then fifthly, what we've done today, relaunching our small groups. The last time we relaunched small groups, Phil and I were leading them. And uh, uh, they, they weren't as successful as these ones are going to be, I can tell you that. Yeah? Uh, so it's wonderful to be able to do that and it's actually really wonderful to be able to do that 
with some of those folk who've been at the church for years. So for Garth and Gidge to, to get to this place to be able to lead. Uh, Pete's been at the church a lot longer than I have to get to this place where he can lead. It's, it's wonderful. It's a real encouragement. And then for new people to be coming in. You don't realise how grateful to God I am for those things. Really grateful to God. And so then... So I'm just thinking about the, all those things that I can be grateful for and, and the peace that exists. Not every church has peace. I'm not saying this is perfect peace, but there is peace in the church. Yeah, There's, there's a sense of, of, of us all really thirsty for God. The focus is on him. It's not on what do I want to achieve, what am I doing. There's no this vying for, 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 for sort of roles. There might be that in our hearts a little bit, but we're, we're dealing with it. I'm hoping, I'm praying we're dealing with those things and so I was asking myself the question what what are the conditions you need to have if you want God to move if you want God to break out one of them is peace I love the idea of peace not because I don't like war but because God blesses things in peacetime he really does and God is seeking peace in our hearts when we come to him And peace is not just about it's all calm and serene. Peace is when you get things ordered in the way that God intended them to be. That's peace. That's peace. That's what we're looking for. Another thing that you need if you want to see God move is you need to have prophetic promise. What has God said? What has God promised you? What do you live with in your heart? And I'm sure for for many of us, maybe not all of us, but for many of us, there will be things in our heart that we have felt God has said. And we live with them. They feel like they're little burdens there. And I I want to encourage that. I don't want to discourage that in any way, to live with prophetic promise. I've lived with that. I lived with prophetic promise for a long time. I felt felt called to, to Christian ministry when I married Pauline. Um, I didn't even tell her that, yeah? I know, it's wrong, it's wrong, I didn't, I didn't tell her. So when I did tell her, a few years later, how did she respond? She was disappointed. Yeah, oh, really? I was like, oh, God, this, we're a long way. <laughs> Got a long way to go. This is just my journey. It's not necessarily the same for every journey uh, because you can't necessarily replicate it. But what I did at that point was, yeah, I had this prophetic promise and Phil would know that. Phil would know that would be true, yeah, that we used to talk and pray. We were praying from probably I was about 18 when Phil was 21. We used to pray together every Thursday and we used to pray with the pastor of our church and, and he could see that there was, there was something in our hearts for God. He used to come to my house. And we would pray. And I lived with prophetic promise. And yet when I met Pauline, and she wasn't living with prophetic promise particularly, I remember, and this is true, but I'm not saying everyone do this because it's not the same for everyone, but I remember saying to Pauline, and at times it was a challenge, but I said to her, Pauline, you will be the voice of God to me. And what I meant by that is if you never get to the point where we can do this, we won't do this. I was never going to go, I was never going to persuade her or, or manipulate her or bring words in and say, my love, come on, this is what God has said. I never did it. I allowed her just to do whatever she was doing. And so Ikea was there and we were worshipping there regularly. <laughs> that was our place. We, would get, we, we When our kids were small, we found secondhand shops where we would go and buy them designer outfits. We lived in those places. I could tell you, every, there were loads of these shops all over Bromley. 
where we would go shopping for designer outfits for our girls. We dressed them up, particularly Yasmin. She used to look like a little Christmas tree at times. <laughs> yeah, and I would do that. I would dress them up. I'd put them on, put the poppers and do all that stuff. Yeah? But in my heart, I lived with a promise. But, I, but the promise wasn't something that I could fulfill or I should do. It was something that God would do. If this was to be right, God would do it. He didn't need me to do my thing. I needed him to do his thing. And so since I've been at Beacon, I would say particularly recently, there have been three things that have come to me that, that if you like, have, have fueled that promise that I've talked about, Phil, God's called us to be in this place. Phil, God wants me in this place. And there's a growing desire for God to move in this place. Well, I've, three pictures have come. They've not come from me, but they've come to me. I've heard about them. And these things I've been praying into, for some of them for months, for years, actually. The, the first picture that came was a few years ago, and, and Kate Blanchard brought it, and she didn't bring it in a meeting, but I think she, she told me about it one day. She had a picture of a wave coming into Brixton, a wave of God's Holy Spirit. And she was very specific, because we were meeting at the Ritzy at the time, and she said, I see it coming from this, from this angle, and it was Cold Harbour Lane. She said, I see this wave of God coming, and, it, and it's coming, and it's going to it's going to destroy, they're very Pentecostal, destroy some of, the, some of the strongholds that exist in this area. I remember her bringing that word to me, and, and at first I'm like, okay, really? But actually, over time, I've been praying, praying, praying into that. Then last year, again, I was meeting to pray on a Wednesday morning, and Tiff, who's the curate at St. Paul's, she brought a word, and she said, I see God coming as a wind. And I see him coming down the high street and he's, he's going he's gonna to blow away all the, sort of, all the sort of falsehood, all the gossip, all the, all the sort of uh, chitter-chatter that we get in Brixton, all the, all the half-truth. She said, I see him blowing it away like sort of all these, all these sort of um, leaflets just being blown away. And I remember when she said that, I thought, oh, there was a rise of faith. I thought, oh, God's coming. Two people have now said, they're not even talking to each other. Both describe the Holy Spirit coming as a, as a wind and a wave and blowing into Brixton or, or sweeping into Brixton. And then um, at the end of last year, I was sent a text from, uh, you remember Heather, Heather and Colton? Uh, one of the reasons they, they don't get here is they're, they're, the other church that they're in meets at a similar time, so they can't, they can't make it here. But she sent me a, a text, and I, I've, I've referred to this before at the end of last year, out of Zechariah 4, and I'm just going to read it. Zechariah 4, um, and this is the amplified version. Um, and the angel who talked with me came again, it's a vision that Zechariah has, and awakened me like a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, uh, I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with its bowl, brackets for oil, on the top of it and its seven lamps on it. And there are seven pipes to each of the seven lamps which are upon the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left, feeding it continuously with oil. So I asked the angel, what are these? The angel who talked with me said, do you not know what they are? I said, no, my Lord. He said, this addition of the bowl to the candlestick, causing it to yield a ceaseless supply of oil from the olive trees, is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, of whom the oil is a symbol, says the Lord of hosts. For who are you, O great mountain, brackets, of human obstacles? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the finishing gable stone, with loud shoutings of the people crying, Grace, grace. Then the word of the Lord came to me, The hands of Zerubbabel having laid the foundations of this house, his hands shall also finish it. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Who despises the day of small beginnings? For these seven shall rejoice when they see the the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And so this whole idea, this whole picture of of the Holy Spirit coming as oil. And, and my sense as I prayed about that, I, with those first two, I, I, I was sensing, oh God, you're going to come in judgment here in some way. I don't know how that's going to be. And, and now you're going to come in oil, and oil is going to bring healing here. And I'm like, God, you're, you're showing me things, and I'm, I'm praying into them. I'm not bringing them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm praying into these things because you need prophetic promise. You need something. You need something to go, no, God's going to come. He's promised it. Yeah? Because what you do then is you pray back into that prophetic promise. God, would you do what you have promised? Would you do what you have said? And then for me personally, I, spelt, I felt God speak to me three things during my times of prayer, and in particular when I prayer walk. And I felt this. God said to me, I need you, Owen. He didn't say, I need you, Owen. I'm just using those words. But he said, I need you to live right. You know, I need, I need there to be integrity. Yeah? He, secondly, he said, I need you to live uncontaminated, uncluttered, unrestricted, without distraction, not looking for human solutions in the church. And I need you to watch and I need you to pray. So I felt God speak that to me. And that was back in March. There were a few of us that were, that were praying and fasting, actually during Lent. There was a few of us here who were, who were doing that. And during that time, God spoke to me those things. So I've been seeking to live like that ever since. To be obedient to those really simple instructions. Live right. Be uncontaminated and pray. So one of the conditions there is that is 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 the prophetic promise another condition i move through these quite quickly is an outpouring of the holy spirit we need to become sensitive to the holy spirit i was reading this week um, in one of my books i think it was the andrew murray book about about the fact that god has given us a conscience in order that we can be sensitive to him it's not just to help me go oh no i shouldn't steal it it's a sensitivity to the holy spirit and you'll know uh, the really famous phrase that George Muller talks about, I made it my business every day to be happy in the Lord. Well, Murray talks about what he meant by that was he would have a good conscience before God. He was sensitive to God. His, his con- he, he allowed his conscience to be very, very sensitive. How sensitive is your conscience? How much do you allow your conscience to dictate what you do? Sometimes our conscience brings something to us, and, and it did to me a few weeks ago. I was telling the guys the other day, um, that my conscience just, I had no peace about something, and um, then I fought with myself. No, I'm not going to do anything about that. No, it'll be fine. 
But in the end, I was just overwhelmed and I had to do something because I had no peace because over time, you're, if, the more you, time you spend with God, your conscience becomes sensitive again. Let me encourage you. Ask God, would you tenderize my conscience again? Would you cause me to be aware of your direct leading this way or that way? Would you cause me to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit again? One of the things that I was reading uh, this week and just really inspired by uh, once again was the, was the story of the, the, the revival in the Hebrides in, in, uh, in northern Scotland in the sort of late 40s, early 50s. And uh, I was just reading some stuff around that Duncan Campbell had written. And, and you'll know if you've been here for a little while, John and Kate Blanchard, who were part of the church, John Blanchard's mum was involved in the Hebridean revival. And, uh, and I don't know if we've got it here. Should we move on the picture? Is there another picture after that? Okay, so yeah, 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 go back. Or forward, I don't know which way it is. So this, this, this headline, Girl Preachers Rock an Island, that refers to John Blanchard's mum and her friend who were preachers in the, in the second wave of the Hebridean revival. And it's such an encouraging story. And if you, she's never, she doesn't talk much about the right revival, but if you pray with her, and I've done that, you just sense, oh, something else is in the room. Yeah, these are not just my words. This, when this woman prays, she's connected to something that I'm maybe not so connected to. You sense that. And, uh, and Duncan Campbell, he talks in one of his books about... Um, particular features of a revival, when God comes. And he says these things, four things. There's a greater awareness of God and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And he says this, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Secondly, there is a deep conviction of sin. And they concluded this, the guys that were involved in this revival, when God comes, he first comes in holiness. When he comes, he first comes in holiness. And there is a deep conviction in sin, uh, of sin. And it starts often with his people. It starts with his people. And he just describes story after story of people who were totally um, besotted with trying to sort themselves with God, putting themselves right with God as the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were absolutely preoccupied with it. And he would let them stew. They'd come and he'd let them stew and they'd be totally preoccupied. Is how do I sort myself? How do I, how do I get rid of this feeling? How do I get rid of this sense of damnation that I've got? And then God would come and would meet with them. And then he talks about an increased focus and intensity in prayer. He said one of the ways we could tell when somebody was saved was they came to the prayer meeting. And they used to have a prayer meeting between 12 and, and uh, 2 every day. And everything would stop. And people would come to the prayer meeting. And if you know anything about how this revival began, it began these two old ladies. They weren't just praying. One of them had a picture. And the picture she had was of her church, uh, her church building being filled with young people. And there was a man there preaching that she didn't know. And so she calls the pastor of the church and she says to the pastor, look, I've had this picture and, and he'd been trying to get young people into the church, didn't know how to do it. And he said, okay, what do you want us to do? And she said, I think you should start a prayer meeting on a Tuesday night 
and a Friday night. And, and me and my sister, we won't be able to join you, but as our health allows, we will pray also. She was blind, and her sister had arthritis. And so they began to pray 10 p.m. every Tuesday, 10 p.m. every Friday till like 4 a.m. And it was during one of those prayer meetings that the Holy Spirit broke out upon them. And things began to change. And when you think about real revival, as opposed to renewal or refreshing, which God does in his church from time to time, real revival overspills into the community. People who don't know God get saved. And they don't get saved because you get them to a meeting. They get saved because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. And that's what happened here. And they give one example of this young man who was in one particular town. Things were going on in, 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 in this town of, I think it's Barvaz. Things were happening in another neighbouring town where both the church and the, the Christian and the non-Christian, both of them were resistant to this revival. And this young man was asking God not to send it to his town. Don't, don't let that happen to us. But the wave came. And against all their better judgment, people were being swept into the kingdom. And this young man, he's, and he, he's at a meeting. He ends up just being drawn into a meeting, doesn't want to go there. And the preacher's saying something that he thinks, you're talking about me, you're talking about my life. You must have spoken to my sister. I will get her after this. Because God's speaking. There's an overspill into the community. They talk about nightclubs that stopped. They talked about uh, um, a pub that had been opened that closed. Within 48 hours, it had closed, never to open again. Because God had come. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the conditions that we're sensitive to him. Another condition is the centrality of the word of God. And again, he talks about this. Uh, Duncan Campbell, the centrality of the word of God, that we don't take the Bible for granted. We recognise its uniqueness and its power to draw us closer to God and to transform a community. It's without equal in doing that. Nothing else can do that. If I sent the seven Harry Potter books to a, to a tribe in Indonesia, they're not, nothing's going to happen to them. If I send them the Bible, it can change everything. It's unique. It has a unique power to change people and to change communities. Hence, we must keep it central because you cannot expect God to move in revival power if this is not central. If you put this to the side, it's not God that comes. It's something else. And then the final thing, very simply, is a praying people. Another condition, you need people who pray. And what they said about that revival in the Hebrides is the, the revival begins with prayer, but it's sustained through prayer. And they talked about the fact that, that people didn't backslide. In true revival, people don't backslide. Pe people are changed completely. Many of them become uh, ministers in the church. Many of them might go abroad into, into various missions, but very few people backslide. And why is that? If God has, if you have been, if you've come to salvation through such a deep conviction of your sin, and then God has set you free from that, it changes everything. Whereas if you come to faith because you simply make a response at a meeting, it doesn't necessarily change everything. 
we need that sense of conviction because, because the key thing to being Christian is letting Christ be Lord. Is he Lord? And that means, are you surrendered to him? Am I surrendered to Jesus? Or do I add Jesus on, along with various other things? Jesus comes in. Or have I surrendered myself? I was reading the other day, this was just one of my daily readings, and I was reading about that, that story of the fig tree. Do you remember where Jesus cursed the fig tree? And the fig tree then dies, and they come back the next day, and they see the fig tree, and they say, look, it's, it's cursed, it's, it's dead. And Jesus says this to, this to them. It's an interesting answer. Peter says, look, the, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Jesus' answer, have faith in God. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes in what he says, it will happen. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So he speaks of faith. He speaks of prayer. And so... My passion for us is that we would become a praying people. My passion for us is that we would make the word central. My passion for us is that we would become so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that you would change what you do because you think, oh, no, I'm, I, I shouldn't do that. I can rationalise that, but I know I shouldn't do that. So make the awkward, have the awkward conversation, do the right thing. My passion is that we would live with prophetic promise and that God would build us up through peace in this place. And then I ask you, imagine if God moved in Brixton like he moved in the Hebrides. Just imagine that for a moment. Imagine if, if that impact that had there, which, by the way, outside of the Christian community, unless you were there, very few people would know about the Hebrides. But if God moved like that in Brixton, lots of people would know about it. Lots of people would resist it. But it's that kind of move that, that it's in my heart for God to make. So I know a talk like this, when I've chatted, I was chatting to Yaz earlier about my talk, I said, oh, it's a little bit bitty, it's a little bit all over the place. It can seem fanciful and unreal. But I simply want to do this. I want to raise the levels of your expectation. I want you to believe a bit more. I want you to have a little bit more of a supernatural belief in God. God is real and he's with you. And God wants to, wants to bring to others what he has brought to you. And we as a church, we, if we don't believe that, then, then, then do you know what we do? We, we become very busy in doing stuff. And I, I don't despise anything that we do. But we, we do that because there is this desire that God would come, that the Holy Spirit would come, that people would be transformed and changed. And genuine revival, genuine moves of God don't get stuck in the church. They overspill. They get caught up. And so right at the beginning, I talked about those words that I had. I talked about the 2008 word and the 2009 word. And I'm just reminded of the parable of the ten virgins, which we read about in Matthew 25. And that parable describes ten people sort of coming to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were ready and five of them were not. It's there as a warning to us, will we be ready? When God says move, are you ready? When God comes, are you ready? Let's pray. Father, you know I'm so grateful for what you're you're doing in this place. Lord, you know I am genuinely thankful for all that we saw last year, the, the, just the, the acts of grace, the fruit that was born in the lives of people. But Lord, you also know I passionate desire that you would do more. That I recognise completely that there is nothing in and of ourselves we can do apart from make ourselves open and available to you and that you will use us. And so I pray for us as a church. Lord, I pray that those three things that you spoke to me, you would speak to us. That we would live right. We wouldn't tolerate sin in our lives. We would live with integrity. That we would fight secret sin. And we would, we would fight attitudes and we would not use the phrase, oh, I'm only human, I'm growing in it. I get all of that, but God, I pray that we would live right because you demand holiness. And I pray, God, that we would be uncontaminated, that where your word says the worries and cares of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word, making it unfruitful, I pray that would not be true of us. And I ask, oh God, that you would put into our hearts a spirit of prayer. Where we gather, whenever we gather, we would pray. We would seek your face. What's the promise? Seek your face and turn from our ways. Then you will hear from heaven. And so I pray these things for us as a church. Lord, I pray your blessing upon each of us as we go. Lord, I pray that your the word of God would bear fruit in our lives this year and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.